You're listening to the Whiskey Investment Podcast, the brand new show bringing you all the latest news, insights, panels and interviews on the world of whiskey investments. Dig deeper into the highest return asset class of the past decade and look beyond the numbers. The Whiskey Investment Podcast is brought to you by VCL Vintners, the UK's leading whiskey cast merchant. Find more online at vclvintners.london. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast brought to you by VCL Vintners, the London-based whiskey cask merchant which approaches the market from a financial perspective to maximise returns for clients. I'm Alwyn Gwilt, whiskey journalist and brand ambassador. In this month's podcast, we are heading to the Peak District to speak with founder of White Peak Distillery, Max Vaughan. Max gives an insight into what inspired him to head back to his Derbyshire roots to set up the distillery, the importance of building a community, and what makes the whiskey stand out. But first, a look at what's happening in the world of whiskey. As the UK braces for continued economic woes in the world of politics and the economy, Scotch whiskey looks to be benefiting. Whilst the pound has tumbled on international currency markets, it has assisted in making Scotch whiskey less expensive to overseas consumers, and more than 10% year-on-year growth was recorded in July, also helped by the trade tariff removals in the United States by Joe Biden, discussed in some of our recent podcasts. Meanwhile, Scottish distiller Loch Lomond has released an incredibly rare bottling of 54-year-old whiskey. The whiskey was initially matured in an American oak cask, before being transferred into a European oak ex-sherry hogshead in 1994. Priced at £24,000, only 55 bottles of the whiskey have been released. And in Edinburgh, a good news story for a former employee of Royal Mile Whiskies, the well-loved whiskey retailer. Ian McLoon, who worked with the retailer in 2006 as a shop assistant, before eventually becoming manager, has returned years later to purchase the company. McLoon found success with his company, Whiskey Auctioneer, which sells bottles from collectors from around the world. And now to this month's podcast. And Max, thank you so much for joining us for this month's podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, Owen. It was really nice to bump into you at the Whiskey Show in London. So yeah, delighted to be here. For those out there who maybe haven't had a chance to get to know you, know the distillery, can you tell us a little bit more about the distillery? And most importantly, what inspired you to set it up? We started the business back in 2016, but really the kind of story started many years before that. So I'm a a lifelong whiskey fan, managed to kind of convert my wife into a similar interest in whiskey over the years. And that was something I inherited from my dad, actually. So it's kind of in the family, so to speak, just in terms of enjoyment. I actually met someone in 2011 who was starting a distillery in at the time in Battersea uh, in London. I wasn't aware that whiskey would be made in England at the time, which it was because the English whiskey company was making whiskey. But I got home and said to Claire, wow, I've just met a guy who's about to start making whiskey in England and I'd love to do that. What do you think? And that was how it all started. And then there wasn't an overnight decision. It kind of took three or four years to understand the size of the ask because neither of us are from drinks or spirits backgrounds. We're enthusiasts. So that was kind of the backstory. And then yeah, eventually lots of other avenues that we went down, but we started the business in 2016 based in the Derwent Valley in Derbyshire. So just on the southern edge of the Peak District, the sort of southern half of the Peak District is called the White Peak. 
and hence why we're called White Peak Distillery. And we're based in a former wireworks. So we're in a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and the wireworks existed from the 1870s and had a very successful business for 120 years. And so we're based in a building where the maintenance department used to be based, right on the River Derwent. Hence why the whiskey brand is called Wireworks, because we wanted to celebrate the place where we're based. So that's a, a little bit of a kind of an overview of how things got going and where the distillery is. Amazing, amazing. So what, wow, like a, a real inspiration story there of get an idea, see there's this opportunity. Did you expect that it would take you as long or was it quicker to set up the distillery than you anticipated? There's lots of things that have been challenges um, over the time. And most of them are the kind of the unknown unknowns, i.e. things we didn't plan over. And so to some extent, lots of things have taken longer. I think we were we had a pretty strong idea of what we were trying to build here as a business and to some extent as a community. And we feel so fortunate to some extent to be at this location at the Wireworks in Derbyshire. There's a real rich history. And I think that's kind of helped carry us through because we've always had an eye on what it is we, you know, we could be building. For sure, there's been lots of challenges. I think it's like anything in life. The first time you do something, there's huge learning curves. And you know, in our case, we'd never built a distillery before. So lots of that existed. And how did you go to choose the Peak District in the end? Because it's an interesting area. Where, where are you from there? Is your wife from there? Exactly right, Owen. So we're both from the area. We spent some time living away for uh, sort of 13 years. Uh, we had sort of a, a small family at that time. And so we moved back to the area where we grew up, which is only sort of 10 miles from where the distillery is based. I think from the get-go, it was always the plan that the distillery was going to be located in Derbyshire in the Peak District, allied with that just kind of personal connection with the area. We had started to see a, a small number of English distilleries get going during those formative years. Certainly a number of them were in areas where there was a good footfall of visitors. And so we had that parallel. There's something like 13 million people visit the Peak District every year. When you're thinking about trying to establish a, for us, certainly we feel we're trying to create a destination for craft spirits, for craft whiskey. So we want visitors to come and do tours. And so having that footfall, you know, sort of already visiting the region um, seemed to make things make sense. Those kind of two aspects, really. It's great to understand better because obviously the Peak District, it's a beautiful part of the world and and lots of natural resources there, which is also very helpful. And so you've chosen this beautiful location. You've got a fantastic building in terms of the historical side. What else um, would you say makes White Peak Distillery stand out? Some of the kind of qualitative things like our kind of sense of place in the community, hopefully the culture that we are building as a, as a business. The wireworks that preceded us here used to employ 500 people. They were a major part of life in this community, not just for employment, but they used to do kind of annual sports shows and flower shows. You know, we kind of, to some extent, feel that legacy and kind of informs every decision we make about the business that, you know, this business is going to be here. This is our perspective. This business is going to be here, you know, long after we've left this mortal world. We need to put our best foot forward with these decisions we're making today. So I guess there's that side of things. But then more specifically around whiskey, I got lots of really good advice from many people early on. And because I wasn't from drinks or spirits, 
I asked a lot of questions from a lot of people. And then you've got to filter what's the right kind of advice for you. But a number of people said to me, by the time you start selling whiskey, the universe of you know, craft whiskeys, in, certainly in the, in the UK, is going to look a lot different. We could see that had been happening in North America for probably 20 years. It was almost the same with craft beer. It happened over there first. And so we did start to think very early on about what is it that's going to be different about this whiskey from Derbyshire? And one of the conversations I had with a lovely guy who gave me loads of advice, I spent a week with him in Waco, Texas, a guy called Chip Tate. We were just chewing over Derbyshire and he didn't know anything about it. And I started to tell him about the kind of the brewing heritage that you know, goes back you know, centuries and certainly proximity to Burton-on-Trent, which is almost the epicenter for beer and brewing in, in the UK. And then we started to talk about fermentation and we started to talk about yeast. And those weren't really conversations in whiskey, to my mind at least, you know, several years ago. We have really embraced that in terms of whiskey making. We do relatively long fermentations to try and generate flavors that we want in our spirit. But more uniquely and more importantly for us, every week we go and collect uh, spent brewer's yeast from a brewery in the Peak District. And that's what we're pitching into our fermentations. And again, it's all about flavor creation. And it is also about trying to make this connection with our business being rooted in Derbyshire. And there's no heritage of making whiskey, but there's centuries of heritage of brewing and making beer. So to some extent, we've made that connection. And there's lots of other things that are unique to us in terms of the still design and the way we run the stills. But certainly, if I had to pick out one thing, it was been that focused on yeast and fermentation. And that dates back to me spending a week with Chip in early 2016. It's definitely an area that I think more distilleries are getting interested in slowly. And so it's always great to see people looking at, okay, what are those initial ingredients that we're using? Because whiskey making uses so few ingredients. So how do you kind of maximize the most out of each of those individual components? Some of this probably born out of the fact that we weren't from drinks or spirits and you know, maybe a little bit of concern around naivety, but we got involved in all the absolute minutiae in the distillery design and distillery engineering. Yeah, I was on site every single day. No decisions got made here without sort of me signing it off. But to some extent, that required us to then start thinking, well, if we make this decision, even if from an equipment design perspective, is that going to have a bearing on the flavor of whiskey that we're making? Is that going to have a bearing on creating a style of spirit that is hopefully unique to what we're doing here in Derbyshire? So at lots of levels, sort of owning all of those decisions, has they've all reinforced the kind of final outcome that hopefully we're doing something that is unique and our whiskey's got this you know, real connection with, with where it's being made, including maturation, which is I guess people talk about things like terroir and it's a, you know, that's a whole other subject. But at the Wireworks, we benefit from lots of space. And so all of our whiskey, we bottle it on site and essentially from cradle to grave, our whiskey has got sort of Derbyshire provenance stamped all over it. So having that ability to mature everything here for us is an important part of the piece. And how important along that journey was it? Um, I know we've we've um, spoken separately about you actually showcasing things like the new make spirit, the whiskey as it was in its early stages before it could be called whiskey when it was maybe only 12 months or, or 24 months of age. How important was it for you to establish that within the local community and, and generally, you know, within the English whiskey space to say, this is where we are starting. 
this is our foundation spirit. Was was that always part of the plan or was that kind of based out of a just desire as well to get people knowing about you because you were excited? <laughs> yeah, it's probably a combination of both. I think we're kind of almost the wrong generation to be fully cognizant of how powerful things like social media can be. But we understood to make this brand successful, you know, even on a small scale, we needed to build a kind of our tribe and we needed to get interest from consumers in what we were doing. And, and really, what better place to start than your own backyard? So, yeah, so early on, we were definitely going to, you know, regional whiskey shows, you know, pitching it with our new make. You know, we would be kind of stood next to established brands at some of them without all the kind of, you know, the nice marketing paraphernalia. But we started to have that discussion. I think there was also a sense that if we don't do that, then there's going to be this question mark about these weird guys down on the river in the woods who have been there for four or five years and we've never seen them. <laughs> Just emerge one day. <laughs> we released our first whiskey in February this year. You know, maybe we'll talk more about that. But at a similar time to us, there was another brand who, yeah, I don't need to name them because they've, they've also been really successful. But they had a different approach. We're very much a direct-to-consumer business and then trying to grow into trade. They had much more of that trade focus in terms of their strategy. They didn't spend three or four years you know, building up X thousand followers on their various social channels and this huge mailing list because they always had a strategy which was different to ours. Our strategy was direct-to-consumer, and that kind of meant we had to build some awareness to the extent we could in those early years. Were cask sales ever part of your original uh, funding model? Did you do that? Or I know, you, I know you have other products as well. Was the cask sales side ever on your radar as well? We've sold a few, Owen. We, we've sold 60 casks. So not an enormous amount of money in terms of cash flow, but certainly you know, helped in those lean years. Again, I got lots of generous advice from, I mean, certainly one or two English distilleries who were three or four years further down the road from us. And some of them, I kind of kept hearing this comment that, yeah, we, you know, we sold some casts early on. I wish I'd sold fewer. So then we thought, yeah, well, well like, we can understand that. We, you know, it'd be horrible to get to sort of 2022 where we are now and look into our warehouse and think X proportion of what we can see that is now whiskey doesn't actually belong to us. We decided we would do it in a modest way, certainly help with cash flow, but We've started to understand more over the years is that you know most of our casks are owned by some whiskey clubs or whiskey enthusiasts, and often there's kind of multiple individual people behind each of those casks. So you know if we just said on average it's about four people and we sold sixty casks, then well that's two hundred and forty people who are having small conversations with friends, with family, with work colleagues about this cask that they own at White Pea Distillery. And actually, in the long run, I think that's far more powerful to us as a business in terms of creating long-term value than the actual cash that we may have generated when we sold the casks. As you say that you have that overview of what maybe some other people are doing, it's still, it's a growing industry, but still small enough, I'm assuming, for you guys to you know, have conversations and, and meet up and discuss you know, different methods of how you're approaching it, because there are many different ways to approach this business. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, making whiskey or certainly breaking into making whiskey is hard. And I think certainly amongst the English distilleries, there seems to be a real sense that, yeah, this isn't easy. And to some extent, we might be competing when we're trying to sell our whiskey, but there's certainly a real 
sharing of help and advice. And you know, we're one of a small number of uh, English distilleries that's just recently formed the English Whiskey Guild, and that's all about two things really: kind of being stronger together in a number of ways, and also trying to uphold you know good quality whiskey in the long run. So when the consumer picks up a bottle of English whiskey, that actually kind of means something tangible and hopefully it sets a decent bar for quality. And you mentioned earlier that you launched your first whiskey in February. So how did that feel? And then secondly, how has it been going? <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, and that was kind of six years in. Yeah, for most of those years, we were just focused on trying to make the best whiskey we could in kind of volumes that we could afford. And we had a sense that what we were making was good whiskey. Um, you know, we had entered into a few awards that are available for new make spirit, for aging spirit that's not yet whiskey. And we got some, you know, some nice feedback. And so it felt like we were producing decent whiskey. But yeah, until you launch the brand, you never really know. February 2022. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was an amazing period of time for Claire and I, and also for the rest of the team. You know, by the time we launched this February, I mean, we're still a small company, but we got, we got 11 employees and actually only three of us were around, let's say in the first two or three years when, you know, some of those really kind of long nights and hard yards. But it, so I think it was just amazing. We had a queue of people out the distillery and I think some of the team here just could not quite believe that we had, you know, 300 people waiting to buy a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, it kind of, to some extent, reinforced that kind of plan that we'd had about just trying to get the word out there about what we're doing and build up some enthusiasm. And that certainly, you know, translated into demand for our first release, which was, you know, really gratifying. And you've obviously reached out to the local community, as you say, a lot of people locally and then, and, and, you know, the wider region around Arbyshire know about you and in England. Are you focusing on any overseas markets? Are you looking at exporting out with England or is it very much just, you know, keep an eye on this current market? Yeah, so the main focus certainly is still domestic. We have aspirations to grow, and I think that means we are starting to look at export markets on a on a fairly selective basis. So we've got whiskey now in Germany, in Italy. We are talking to a potential distributor or two in a couple of other markets. And in the short term, that kind of feels like enough to me because I'd like to make sure that we're working with the right partners. You know, it's all for us. It's all about you know doing business with people finding the right partners, and then also being able to support those partners in their home territory. So yeah, I mean, if we really pushed hard, we might be able to export to more markets, but I want to be able to go to whiskey shows or a brand ambassador works for me. Between us, we want to have boots on the ground to be able to kind of support the brand growth in an authentic way. And so it is going to be selected markets in the short term. Yeah, for sure. It's an important part of our growth plan. And I guess just you know, having a look back over the last few years, is there one thing that stands out that you're most proud of when it comes to this distillery? You've always had some incredible milestones, especially of late, but is there anything that really comes to mind for you? I mentioned it earlier on. I think, and this is, I'm kind of replying on behalf of Claire and I, I know she's not sat here, but I think now we've got whiskey out there, we do genuinely feel really proud of the business that we've built and we've got a you know, a lot of confidence that it's got momentum, you know, and hopefully who knows in, you know, a hundred years, people will be talking about this business in the same way that we reflect on the wireworks that was here before us. So 
you know, hopefully you never know what's around the corner, but I think we feel really proud that we've built a business, that the whiskey's good. Obviously, good whiskey is a subjective thing, but, you know, we think we're making good whiskey. But I think beyond that, this sense of brand and place in our community, I think that probably makes us the proudest of everything, really. Oh, well, Max, thanks. It's been so interesting getting a little insight into what you're doing up there and how you're bringing that community spirit and whiskey to the Peak District, which is just one of the most beautiful parts of, you know, of England. So congratulations, especially on that launch this year and uh, fantastic to get a chance to speak to you today. Yeah, thanks, Alwyn. Look, I'm really grateful for the invitation to chat with you and it's been nice to do so. Thanks so much to Max Vaughn from the White Peak Distillery in Derbyshire for joining us for this month's podcast. As you can hear, a fantastically interesting insight into the world of setting up your own whiskey distillery and also a little bit more insight into what is happening in the English whiskey market. Thanks so much for joining us for this month's edition of the VCL Vintners podcast. Wishing you all the best for a dram-filled month ahead.